It's been almost two decades since we started our journey to educate and help you take action so you may better manage your financial future. Our goal is to help you accomplish your life's purpose. This podcast reveals financial tips, strategies, and insights that will help you to set your financial goals and guide you along the way. This is Managing Your Financial Future, brought to you by the advisors at Lucia Capital Group. Welcome back. It is podcast time. Of course, it's podcast time. That's right. You're listening to this anytime it's podcast time. Uh, If you happen to press play, that makes it podcast time for you. Managing your financial future talking about strategies we're talking about financial issues potential solutions to whatever those issues or challenges are that you might have i'm johnny dean moderator of this particular podcast not an advisor but after hanging out with uh, you professor plum and the others at lucia capital group for gosh nigh on no it's more than 20 years now i feel like i've learned a lot now you're not a real professor i know we call you that i think we're we borrowed that from the clue game or something i don't know where it came from but it's what they call me so Whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, you you don't have the PhD. Well, I don't. I won't presume to ask whether you do. I do not have a PhD. Okay, I do not have a teaching credential or a professor credential. Well, and it, if you say Professor Plum, you got to put it in quotes. There you go. <laughs> well, I'll I'll put it in air quotes, even though I hate that. But you're 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 not a you're not a professor. You don't have the, the teaching credential. But I would I would say your teaching skills are top notch, as is your knowledge. So welcome to the to the uh, podcast here. I do feel like I've learned a lot hanging out with you. I got some Thank stuff you. for you today now well i should mention too you're a certified financial planner professional cfp that's you yes. you've been doing this since 1986 or 1822 or <laughs> yeah I mean, late 80s I, mid to late 80s i don't remember a time when you weren't doing this uh, so as i met uh, no, you back I, in the early when we 90s met, i was a cfp and i'd been doing this for uh, several years before we met yeah, I think it was the early 90s when we started doing the different the versions of this back on, on on a real radio station. So uh-huh. anyway, it's been a long, long, long time. And um, uh, I, I've said this, I said this before, there's nothing like day-to-day experience, I think, when you're dealing with things like finance, taxes, Social Security, all the stuff that we've talked about over the years. Now, we generally don't like rules of thumb, or at least you said you don't, Professor Plum. But here's what I'm going to throw out at you anyway, and you can comment on this. And it's that risk and reward seem to go hand in hand. I, I I don't think it doesn't seem you can expect to get higher rates of return without accepting higher risk, nor on the other hand, can you expect lower risk without also accepting a lower rate of return? Does that right. th- that applies? Well, no, that you, you can't say that risk and return are perfectly correlated because you can take a lot of risk and not be rewarded for it. Sure. Return wise. Um, so you, but generally when we're talking about this, if you want a higher return, you have to expect that there's going to be some form of risk involved in getting that higher return. If you are unwilling to take the risk, you have to assume that you are not going to get a return or reward very well in, in that situation. Uh, but you have to still be prudent about the risk that you're taking. You can take risk with no chance of getting extra reward. That's just wrong, but people tend to do that from time to time. Um, so it's not risk return is a perfect correlation, but generally to get a better rate of return, you have to accept some type of risk. Now that risk could be in the form of many different types of risk. It could be liquidity risk. It could be credit risk. It could be, you know, stock market risk. It could be, you know, volatility. There's lots of different risks involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to get that higher return, 
generally you are introducing one or more of these different types of risk. So, you know, I look at things like if I'm going to turn to something that's called maybe a safe instrument, and, I, and I'll bring this up because this is what they they tell you, and that's that. But if you look if you at... you buy them and hold them to maturity, yes. Okay, there you go. If you look at let's just pick the 10 year. I don't know where it is now where people are listening. Point eight. Yeah, it's, it's today's value whatever with the day we're taping this. Yeah, okay. I mean it's 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 very low. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you see people saying that's not high enough? And I read something just the other day that people are taking some of that money and they are apparently buying stocks with it and they've been doing that for quite some time. Have you seen that and what do you think about that? Well, there are some people think that part of the stock market's uh, return and the, the movement up is because people are tired or unwilling to accept a 0.8% 10-year return on a bond. Uh, what are we at? Bank accounts, 0.05 on a basic uh, brick-and-mortar bank savings account. Even the high-yield online bank accounts that are FDIC insured are in that half a percent, 0.6% range. So they're saying, why, why would I do that? I could buy good quality stocks that have a two or three percent distribution rate dividend rate and so i could get a lot more money on an annual basis and the, you know the distributions tends to be pretty you know stable not guaranteed but you know they say if i had a hundred thousand dollars i could get what five hundred dollars a year in interest at the bank nor fifty dollars a year at the bank or i could get two thousand dollars by putting it into this you know high, you know, $3,000 by the, in these dividend paying stocks. And that's where they say, now we're introducing risk. It's not the same thing with the bank. Assuming you stay within the FDIC insurance limits, you, your principal is guaranteed by the government. Um, you move it into stocks. Yes. Your cash flow is going to go up as long as they continue to make those dividends. And a lot of companies strive and work very hard to maintain that dividend rate. But if I put in my hundred grand uh, a year from now, two years from now, that stock price, if I need the money, could be 80,000, 70,000. I mean, sure, I got $1,500, $2,000 more a year in cash flow, but maybe the stock price goes down by 10 or 20% which could happen without too much trouble. So my overall total return is still negative. And, but people are looking at it saying, well, I'm just going to move from this that's paying me $500 a year to this that's paying me $2,000 a year without looking at the fact that what is the risk involved to get that higher yield? And how do we go back? Now, some stocks are paying significantly higher yields today. Uh, we see a lot of uh, stocks that have, you know, six, seven, eight percent yields and why is it happening? Well, in some cases, it's because the stock price has already gone down. The company may not be in a great position. And so the, the, where the stock price was you know, $10 a share a year ago, and it was paying a 3% dividend, now the distribution is the same number, but the share price is $5 a share. Oh my. So my yield is 6%. Now, if I were going to buy that stock, I'd rather buy it today than a year ago because it's down 50% in that example. But does it mean I really want to buy that stock in the first place? I need to understand what's going on, what's happening in that company, what kind of risk am I taking to get that better yield? Yeah, you know, you're sometimes you're... it works out very well. Well, but, but you the, have to understand that risk. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, I could I could jump out of an airplane and uh, land on the world's 
biggest trampoline and be okay. But I took a big risk to do that. The, uh, <laughs> trampoline, wow. Well, I had to think of something very quickly. A uh, big what, marshmallow. Well, that's true. Yeah. Jump out over a marshmallow factory just as they were, just as the stay puffed marshmallow man, <laughs> marshmallow man. <laughs> bursts out of the building <laughs> and walks down the street, land on his head. Uh, yeah, it's pro- probably not likely. Because as far as I, the research tells me, the stay puffed man was not real, that that was a story. The uh, What you're describing, though, Professor Plum, is, is really something that I've read about, certainly, and they call it chasing yield. You've heard of this. Yep. Chasing what is yield, this? chasing wherever the best cash flow is coming from without equating the different types of risks that you're associating to, that you're introducing to the investment. So so how does this work and, and what are the problems? You've kind of already mentioned some of the inherent problems of looking for risk or, or looking for yield in this in, in, in this environment. Well, but what happens right now? I mean, bank accounts are horrible. So people say, well, I'm going to go to bonds and they look at bonds and they they equate the bond, even if it's a U.S. government bond to the same security and safety that the bank account money market account would have. But it has a better rate of return. That's not necessarily a true statement. Bonds, even a U.S. government bond can lose value if you have to sell it and need the cash before the maturity date. Well, explain how. I don't want to sidetrack us, but this is an important point I think that you're making. Explain how a U.S. government bond, how you could lose money on a uh, potentially on a U.S. government bond. Well, if I were to buy a U.S. bond today, the yield is roughly 0.8%, a 10-year treasury. Yeah. And so I, I go online, go into Treasury Direct, and I buy it today, and it's paying me 0.8% every year for the next 10 years. At the end of 10 years, they're going to give me back my principal, whatever the bond value was that I bought, if I 10000 100000 whatever the number is. But let's say that next year, interest rates are now 1.6%. I'm purely making that up. I have no idea what's going to happen to interest rates. But they can go up. And you know, people have been saying they were going to go up for a long time. But now I've got nine years left on that bond that's paying me 0.8%. And let's say it's a $100,000 bond. So I'm getting $800 a year, but somebody who's coming to the market next year with 100,000 can get $1,600 a year because they're gonna buy a bond that's now paying 1.6% for the next 10 years. Well, that makes my bond, well, I mean, why would I wanna keep getting 800 when I could get a new bond for 1,600? So I'd, I wanna sell my bond. Who's gonna buy it for $100,000? Because if they had 100000 they could get one that pays 1600 Why would they buy one that pays 800 So for me to sell my bond, I have to reduce the face amount. I have to discount it and take less money. In that case, 800 times nine years with $7,200 of interest that I'd be losing out on, you know, I'd probably lose 5 or 6% on that bond, 7% on that bond. I'd only get $93,000, $94,000 back on it. Uh, that's where if... If you don't hold it to maturity, the value changes on a daily basis based on the market rate at that time. And the market rate changes all the time where a bond rate is fixed from issue. Now, it, what has been happening over the past several years is it's been the other way around. I bought a bond, a 10-year bond two years ago, and it was paying 2 point, call it almost 3%. Well, that bond's paying me $3,000 a year. If somebody wanted to buy a bond today, it's only paying 800 that makes that bond that I bought two years ago a lot more valuable. So people are willing to pay more for that bond. So so as interest, interest rates go up, 
the bonds bond that you're holding. Bond values go down. As interest rates go down, bond values go up. How much they go up or down is based on how many years between now and maturity. If it matures next year, I'm only, you know, my $800 a year versus $1,600 a year, I'm only missing out on 800 bucks. If it's a 30-year bond <laughs> and I'm one year into it, and I'm getting 800 bucks a year less than the other bonds for 29 more years, that's a much bigger issue. So the length of time between now and maturity has a lot to do with how volatile that stock is, or excuse me, that bond is, the value, the current value of that bond. So even though it's guaranteed to be there, you know, compared to other things at any given point in time, it may not be attractive or it may be very attractive. All right. So when we talk about things like chasing yield, are we talking about somebody playing a kind of a whack-a-mole game, trying to jump from from investment to investment or bond to bond or something well, like that's that? That's typically what we think about when somebody's playing the chasing yield game. They're just looking at the return. I, I This is, you know, this one-year CD is paying me 0.8%. Uh, this 10-year – well, I won't go to treasury. This 10-year – good quality corporate bond may be paying me 1.5% or 1.2%. I don't know what they're paying right now, but it'd be more than that. So they say, oh, I'm going to move over to this, but I need the money in a year. That's why I had a one-year CD to begin with. And maybe a year from now, I sure, I made more interest, but if my bond value went down, my total return may be a negative number. So, and, But if you don't understand how risk, what risk is involved, you don't understand why you're facing, you don't understand why it went down. So people will go into longer term bonds without understanding the risk they do. The other thing they do is they they understand the maturities and they say, well, this five-year bond is paying X and this five-year bond is paying X, and a, you know, one and a half times X. But the first bond was a treasury and the second bond was a B-rated bond, a junk bond. And the company's in somewhat kind of trouble where there is there may be some risk of the bond actually paying off. Now you don't have a guarantee from the government. So you, you go down on the risk or you go up down on the quality scale. So, and that will usually get you a better rate of return. And a lot of times there have been times where junk bonds work very well in a portfolio because the premium for that risk that you're taking is very, very nice where it's a very large difference in the returns and it may entice people to buy into it sometimes the premium for that junk bond is not very much the reality is unless you know what you're doing you may be taking risk that you did not know you were taking okay just looking at the maturity date is one thing you need to know the maturity date you need to know the credit rating the credit quality and, and if it's a municipal whether it's insured or not all these things come into play when you're buying bonds so people will look at things as if they're the same thing when they're not. So if bonds are doing so badly, we talk about you know, this traditional mix, 60-40 socks bonds, whatever it happens to be. If one side of this stock bond mixture is doing very badly from a rate of return side, how does this change things? And what can somebody do potentially, just speaking in general terms, to juice that up without having to chase yield? Well, it depends on what they're trying to accomplish with the investment in the first place. Are they trying to accomplish liquidity? Uh, that's one thing you have to consider. When do I need this cash back? Are they just trying to do pure return and they have the ability to hold on for a period of time? Uh, are they looking to just look for total return and not look, not look at the investment as a cash flow investment? You know, so a lot of people will look at these as 
you know, midterm, you know, type investments where I don't need the cash today, but I might need it six, seven, eight years from now. And so I want to reinvest everything that I'm getting. Well, that's a different game than somebody who's saying, I need the cash flow. So you've got to first look at what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Why are you investing this money? And it's not the entire portfolio we're talking about. We're talking about this particular portion of the portfolio. What are we trying to achieve? Because when you've got somebody who's 55, 65, 75, their overall portfolio goal may be growth and in income, but they'll be at different extent. Uh, time horizons, there'll be different amounts that they're going to need it, different you know, time when they need to bring it up. But you have to identify what is the dollar that I'm investing? What's the goal? And you can't have a goal that is a high total return, high cash flow, high liquidity, high safety, and tax-free to boot. Okay, that's a goal. It's not realistic. I, I, if I could find that, I would love it, but it, it just doesn't exist. And so that's why we segment out what we're trying to accomplish through the buckets and say this amount of money is to create cash flow. And we need high safety and high liquidity because we need the money tomorrow, next year, the year after. We need it in the next few years. And then we isolate the other money and say, okay, well, this money over here, we don't need for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever the number is. So it can be invested differently. You don't invest the whole thing as one big pie. You invest it based on time horizon, what you're going to need it. Now, a 20-year-old that's investing their IRA, that's all long-term growth. 65-year-old, typically, they'll need some money for growth because they may live to be 85, 90, but they also need some money tomorrow. And so not all of their money can be in stock. So let's first identify what we're trying to achieve. Then we build the portfolio around it because a lot of times what we're seeing for that, that person that doesn't need the money for five to seven, eight years, and they want to use a balanced portfolio, which is appropriate, we're seeing people go more towards a little bit heavier stock allocation than bond allocation because of the risk return relationship in some cases. But they're not looking to spend the money right away. They're looking to reinvest the money for the next five to six to seven years or so. Then you've got the person who just needs cash flow. What do we do about that? If we need cash flow, but we don't need liquidity, we don't need immediate access to the principal, now we can use some other type. We can go with a little bit longer uh, time horizon, or we can go to some of the alternative investments that don't have a lot of liquidity, but may have a better cash flow rate of return. Um, but we still, you know, it's all a matter of what it is we're trying to accomplish. So like everything else, it comes down to your goals. and uh, It comes down to my favorite two words. It is. Depends. Depends. You taught me. That's one of the first things that, that uh, we learned years and years and years ago. Well, it should depend. There is no one investment that works for everybody guaranteed 100% of the time. I, I don't know. That, that, somebody may tell you that, Professor Plum, that this particular investment works every time. But I, don't th I think you would agree that that's simply not the case. Well, the only investment that works is like a CD or an FDIC bank account where you know that it's guaranteed by the government and you know the interest rate. Now, does it guaranteed to work? I, I have a, a bank account, online bank account that a year ago was paying a little over 2%. Not paying that anymore. Is that saying that it's still working? <laughs> what? Well, it's working for what I need it for. It's working as my emergency fund. There's liquidity uh, right not, there. It, and I have immediate, instant, basically instant liquidity, um, but it's not paying 2.x percent anymore. It's paying you know, a little over half a percent. Did you ever think you would long for the days where you could get 2% FDIC <laughs> insured? I never thought that would happen. I really thought interest rates would be higher by now. And I don't know. I don't know where they're going, as you said. Well, well we did think they were going to be higher. 
Well, we did. We, we've been saying this for a long time. I, I've mentioned this a couple of different times. Where, where I, I could probably go back to the shows we did in 2014 and say, gee, if you think you know, two years from now interest rates are going to be this low, uh, you're fooling yourself. Well, we were wrong. And so no more. No more of that predicting. Uh, we just go with what we have. Uh, this is uh, all part of you, you led us into a nice discussion of how, how you do buckets, Professor Plum, and how the advisor at Lucia Capital Group. This is sort of, I guess, how you this, this is part of structuring a bucket strategy. Yes. It is part of it. You know, the first thing is to identify goals, identify needs, identify time horizons, identify risk tolerance, identify all these different things, and then try to build a strategy around all that that suits the individual and also tries to meet their needs. That's right. If you need more help with this stuff, and speaking of needs, I think everybody could at least uh, could, could use some advice from time to time. It's always helpful, not just financial, but otherwise. But on the financial side, you can reach Professor Rick Plum, uh, Certified Financial Planner Professional at Lucia Capital Group, 800-644-1150, 800-644-1150. I, I should tell you, you can also find more information on us on our podcast at our website, luciacap.com. You can find Professor Plum and the other advisors there at Lucia chiacap.com shoot them an email talk to them they'll be happy to go over your strategy with you if you have one and talk to you about your future your goals and all that and work toward uh, finding uh, some potential solutions for you 800-644-1150 the number at lucia capital group or again lucia cap l-u-c-i-a lucia cap.com all right we're out of time professor plum thank you so much for joining us i appreciate it we're going to get to you again on another podcast next week i think we may talk social security taxation if that's uh, something that we can get enough information on (laughs) between now and then. I think you know enough about that. Uh, This has been Managing Your Financial Future for Professor Rick Plum. I'm Johnny Dean. I thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. To the extent that this material concerns tax matters, it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy, including the investments purchased and or investment strategies devised by LCG, will either be suitable or profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the presentation or any component thereof serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from LCG or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based upon publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. The information contained herein does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. Investment products described herein may not be offered for sale in any state or jurisdiction in which such an offer, solicitation, or sale would be unlawful or prohibited by the specific offering documentation. The information provided is based on current laws, which are subject to change at any time. Lucia Capital Group is not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Social Security rules can be complex, 
For more information about Social Security benefits, visit the SSA website at ssa.gov or call 800-772-1213 to speak with an SSA representative. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity or market risk, interest rate risk, bonds ordinarily decline in price when interest rates rise and rise in price when interest rates fall, financial or credit risk, inflation or purchasing power risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Money market mutual funds, though traditionally lacking federal insurance and not without risk, are highly regulated under federal law. CDs are FDIC insured up to $250,000 per depositor per insured bank for each account ownership category. Municipal bond interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Examples cited are hypothetical, are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed, and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. IRA withdrawals will be taxed at ordinary income rates. Withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half may also be subject to a 10% penalty tax. Rick Plum is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Lucia Capital Group, a separate entity from LPL Financial.